0: Mind Chimp podcast right. hey nick welcome to the Mind Chimp podcast how are we doing
1: yeah good i'm just munching some peanuts actually i find it keeps me going through the day so nothing wrong with that that's what you're hearing it's not it's not a problem on the line
0: how are I'm you good i'm good i'm great um i can't complain i suppose the sun is shining so i can't really uh, i've got nothing to really complain about but, well, you know, I'm sure I could find something of it overthink and overanalyze every single thing in my life.
1: It's a, a strength and a weakness, isn't it? That over, I mean, all strengths are weaknesses, but that overthinking things. I mean, it does give you the ability to, you know, really get to the bottom of things. But on the other hand, it makes it harder just to enjoy it, you know, when the sun is shining. You know, there's something else rattling around in your head. Um, at least that, that's what I find.
0: Yeah, massively. I, I went, I've just come back from um, Centre Park's. Um, never been before, it was a family do where everyone kind of got together for a week. And one of the, obviously at the moment I'm in kind of, I'm job hunting at the moment, but obviously I need my phone for people to kind of call me. And one of the things mm-hmm. which Santa Penas does is it cuts you off from the outside world. Yeah. So my, my mobile phone was pretty much non-existent. And while it was a bit of a curse in the situation, it was actually just really good to kind of just leave my phone at home in the drawer. It, it was it was and just just taking the yeah. na-
1: nature that's a really interesting thing you know because i saw some research with um so-called millennials whether or not they exist you know it's a separate question but kind of young people basically who are typically spending a lot of time we know on their phone they may check their phone like 70 times a day or something and they took them away for them from a day and they experienced that as a really kind of negative experience and the th- this comment that stuck in my mind was somebody was asked why and they said well they just couldn't stand being alone with their own thoughts. And I, I really worry about that, the sort of sense that people aren't with themselves anymore. They're constantly fallen into something else, like fallen into somebody else's life and Facebook or fallen into Instagram, what people are posting and, you know, what they're doing. And I, I think that's a vanishing part of our lives, the that ability to just kind of be alone. Even on trains. I mean, you know, very few people are just sort of sitting staring out the window. They're you know checking something or listening to something and it's almost like an escape from who we are so it got a bit philosophical rather quickly no though,
0: not it. philosophical is good I think yeah you know there is an art to being alone I think it's um I think it it's a kind of embracing embracing that it for me being on my own is, is is a good thing um but for the first five ten minutes I'm like oh I should be doing something but that's just because of my behavior of me being so used to being on my mobile device or okay, this, I've got some spare time, I must be doing something. And I just think, yeah. you're right. I mean, how it, the only time I actually ever really get to be on my own and just let my mind wander and come up with wacky, weird ideas or whatever, tends to be in the bath. Because my phone, you know, I don't really want to get my phone damaged. So I don't, I don't really do any scrolling or anything on my phone like that. You know, every now and again, I might take a book in there but realistically the chances are my pages are going to get wet so I just tend to just be in the moment in the bath which is yeah a bit of an insight into my 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 day-to-day life um yeah but I guess yeah if we had to say to you Nick what 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 would be your log line so a summary of who you are and a log line being something you know over the top and a bit like a, a sentence which would sell a mover what would your what would your log line be
1: Yeah, I saw that in your instructions. I thought it was a really good thing. And it struck me that a lot of people don't have a log line. And then I realized I have a log line because I put it on LinkedIn. That is my log line, you know. And my log line is the bloke who thinks he's discovered um, how people learn but will probably be dead before anybody else thinks so. And that is pretty much the story of my life, I think, summed up in a single line. Okay.
0: So... Let's touch upon that. Why not? So the the bloke who discovered um, how people learn, but you feel like you know, by the time you die, people will still be struggling with it. How? What? What is that? What?
1: What is? What, what yeah. is that? Well, I started out as a psychology lecturer, um, and you know, was sort of teaching lots of things so sort of learning theory, um, and then I moved into business. Uh, we had a chance to kind of put it into practice. So I became a developer and I did kind of flash development and we had a development team. And I was busy putting all this instructional design theory and everything and learning theory into practice and thinking, oh, this is wonderful. And we're changing the world and isn't what we're doing so much better than what everybody else is doing. And then eventually you had an opportunity to put it to test um, and we created... This little experiment where you have the same information, it was about the solar system, and it was in five different formats, all the way up from really, really dull, boo, hiss, text, all the way through up to all singing, all dancing, interactive e learning, you know, kind of stuff that we were paying a lot for and creating. And um, anyway, had five different groups of students. Um, We told them, look, you're going to have 30 minutes with this stuff, um, and then you're going to be tested at the end, find out how much you remember. And of course, this was just about 20, 25 something years ago, everything in instructional design would tell you that, you know, the more instructionally designed stuff was better somehow, but it wasn't. When we did the test, people actually learned slightly more from the text. And it was a real kind of earthquake in my career, early on in my career. And I realized it was all just mumbo jumbo that, you know, it, it, it didn't, we hadn't even scratched the surface of how people really learn. And so I then went on this kind of epic adventure to try and discover how people really learn which resulted in something called the effective context model which i've been working with for about 10 years or something now but the really sobering thing then was there was a point at which i really did realize that yeah this is really is this is how people learn this describes everything that i'm seeing and i know and all of the research i've read and i thought wow that's it you know it's kind of like wow i've I've done it and but then what i realized subsequently was that Progress is kind of like 1% discovery and 99% marketing. And I found this horrifying because it was kind of like, well, I wasn't really interested in marketing or celebrity or, you know, or popularizing stuff. I just wanted to be able to say, look, there's the answer, off you go. And and so the last few years have been this grinding um, realization that I have to be much more kind of out there if if I want to kind of change things Um which which I never expected to have to do really. I was just interested in the answers. So that that's a rather long um, explanation of that sentence. But that's no, a- no,
0: no, that's a good good explanation. I guess you touched upon you know where you started off as a lecturer. So maybe let's just touch upon you know I I know who you are, Nick, and maybe for the people who don't know who you are, maybe give us a bit of a brief um, bio of kind of where you've come from to where you are now, if you could.
1: Sure. So um, I was. I was born in Woking. I grew up in Reading. Um, Well, I went to Quaker school, actually, in in Reading. So we spent a lot of time in in sitting in silence. And probably was quite an introverted kind of child, interested in all kinds of arcane sort of stuff. Um, Went to university to study philosophy and psychology. Studied in the UK and the US. Um, Didn't really know what I was going to do with philosophy and psychology, but I was passionate about it. Um, Travelled around quite a bit got a master's in uh, philosophy uh, and then ended up as a psychology lecturer that was my first job and I did that for about five years and I wrote uh, a couple of textbooks study guides in fact Um, and then was lured away um, by the appeal of doubling my salary um, for a kind of startup where I got to drive around in an Audi (laughs) I felt important and um, started inventing all kinds of of new things using technology um, and eventually got a job at Seamus Communications. Well, I think they thought I was going to be a librarian. There are all these CDs. and I think they were going to pay me lots of money to kind of sit with a secretary at a desk and, you know, hand out these CDs to people who would go off and do some learning and then come back with the CDs later. And I didn't want to do that at all. So I, I learned Flash and I had a Flash team and we started doing weird and wonderful things. And then I went to the BBC for five years, um, which is really interesting um where i learned that you should put the audience at the heart of everything that you do even though the bbc doesn't ever do that um and then uh, from there to bp uh, where i was for five years met and worked with some great people and then we moved across to pa consulting where i head up the learning innovation team and i've done that for two years now
0: okay so kind of a a wide range of yeah roles i guess um and each one being quite unique, you know, being kind of different from B, you know, from the BBC right through to B P. Um, BP. What's I guess what's the question here is kind of what what are the key learnings or the themes what you might have picked up from say the BBC and took with you to the to BP, if any, or or what themes have you seen where you've seen it done wrong and you thought there's no way on earth I'm taking that to my next role? Take you can rephrase that <laughs> question however you however you like.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, there have been a lot. I like to think I've changed. There have been a lot of learnings, I guess. Um, One thing that stuck in my mind is when I joined the BBC, early on, um, I was sitting in a taxi with somebody who'd been there and was just about to leave for, like you know, been there for sort of 30 years. And this chap leant across towards me and he said, "Um, let me give you a bit of advice, Nick, uh, about working at the BBC. He said, my one bit of advice would be... um, nobody ever got fired for not making a decision. And it's, it's a staggering advice, really, that the best way to get on in a business like that was just to to not make any decisions. And I encountered that quite a lot in corporate life, is that people advance by just not doing things, by and particularly by kind of not taking risks. And I think that was quite formative for me in a way because there came a point where I realised that that wasn't really... What success looked like for me was just kind of climbing some ladder by avoiding doing anything, you know, out of the ordinary. In fact, quite the contrary, I wanted to do extraordinary things. I wanted to do things that, you know, created a ruckus, as you say, you know, a bit of a fuss, were different, were exploratory. Um, And I don't think that's a great recipe for career success, but it's meant that I've done stuff that I'm proud of and done stuff that was a horrible mistake and learned from. Um, And when I look back, I find it quite easy to think of things that I was either kind of embarrassed by, and were just really stupid, or things that I'm hugely proud of and were real breakthroughs in, in what we were doing.
0: Okay, that's good. I think it's really interesting, you know, I think if you look at from where you are now to where you might be in 10 years, if you look back and you think, actually, I've not made any mistakes and I've done well, my argument would be, well, actually, how well have you done if you've not made any mistakes? Because... Potentially, you've probably just done the same old, same old, maybe adapted it and tweaked it a touch. But, you know, I think I'm a firm believer of your your biggest learnings. It's either a win or a learning. And I think, you know, even your mistakes are kind of tend to be the best, best examples of that.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. I think at the risk of sounding philosophical is kind of the biggest mistake of all is not to make mistakes. In it actually sounds a bit silly, but um, what I mean by that is that I really do see lots of people who just aren't aware of their mistakes. They are making mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes all the time, but people who go through lives never really being kind of stopped in their tracks and thinking, oh, that was really, that was really idiotic. Why did I do that? Or, um, And I think that just means that they never really go anywhere, you know, developmentally at least, they never advance because they're not making, they're not aware of the mistakes, they're making mistakes but they're not they're, they're not aware and, and so they don't change. So,
0: I guess before we even get into this, probably a touch deeper, what when you was, you know, when you was in school and your teacher would say, so Nick, what is it you want to be when you grow up? What was the, what was the answer you'd given when he was in school?
1: It changed, I think it does for most people I think when I was really young I wanted to be a zookeeper because uh, I was reading um, a bunch of books. I forget the name of the author, but um, uh, something uh, My Family and Other Animals was a title I remember. Anyway, it's, it all seemed really nice kind of you know, looking after animals. And then later on, I think when I was um, at the Quaker school, we had a visit from two Buddhist monks and I was super impressed by these chaps It was two uh, male monks who seemed really thoughtful and they had a really clarity of, of thinking on a number of questions that we put to them. And then for a while I thought that, that's what I wanted to do. Um, but the other thing I wanted to be um, was Doctor Who. I, I really I liked Doctor Who as a program when I was younger. And I thought the idea of kind of traveling backwards and forwards in time, that really appealed to me. So I think being Doctor Who was probably the, um, the thing. Ah,
0: okay. Interesting fact. So, um, yeah, I used to live next door to a Doctor Who. Yeah, wow! Which Gustav one, Freculstone? Oh, right,
1: yeah, yeah. So
0: there you go. That's a bit of insight. <laughs> so, okay. So, what I thought we'd do is, what we need to do, Nick, if you can, is I want you to pick out four numbers from one to a hundred for me.
1: Four numbers from one to a hundred. Ooh, hmm. eighty-six. Yep. Um, seventy-seven. 91. Okay. And 2. So, perfect. We will come
0: back to them later on. So I'm going to fire out some words to you. And I want I want to see what what's the first thing, what comes to mind. Yeah, so try not to filter out the things that come to mind. Just go for it. So first one, learning and development.
1: <laughs> uh, it's not really a, a word, but just a feeling. It just it kind of makes... It just makes me laugh, really, I think, um, learning and development. And it makes me laugh because there's just such a kind of gap between, you know, what those, how those words are used and, and, and how they should be. So, yeah, that's my kind of reaction. Okay.
0: Social media.
1: Fun. I think social media is a real... A lot of fun. Yeah, um, people use conversations kind of that make it sound a little bit like um, use words like conversation, which make it sound a little bit dull, you know, and and you know, means a conversation, this, and that, and the other. But above all else, I think it's quite a lot of fun. Okay.
0: Um, imp- employee engagement. In fact, let's just rip that one up. Let's call it culture.
1: Culture. Yeah. Um, Greg Urban. There's a country and western singer called Keith Urban every so often I get mixed up, which is why I hesitate. But um, Greg Urban's written, written some of the books that I really love about um, about culture. And that also links me on to the other guy, uh, Jared Diamond, not Jared Leto, who plays the Joker, but Jared Diamond, I'm terrible with names. But Jared Diamond, who's written books which really influenced me about culture. Like, um, was it Guns, Germs and Steel, and The World Until Yesterday, when you read the world until yesterday which is about culture in new guinea you realize that the culture has been a certain way for for millennia and really what we think about as culture today or in our organizations is just a really a passing a fleeting mistake in many cases and so yeah that's what comes to mind with okay and the last one
0: nick Shackleton jones
1: i don't know what to think about that um uh it's, it's quite a long name, isn't it? <laughs> um, but Nick Jones, I, I never use because it just, it it sounds like a made-up name. Mm. So um, you may know that I struggle, I've had problems with this. When, when, I, when I, I'm a coffee addict, and when I go into Starbucks, I've learned that you can't give your name as Nick, um, because if you do, it's such a common name that, routinely other people pick up your coffee or you pick up somebody else's so um, I put I use Romeo instead (laughs) because it's a name that everybody uses and um, I thought everybody knew how to spell but apparently not and then people were taking the mickey out of me for using Romeo Um, and they I said well what what name should I use and they said Anakin but I'm not sure that everybody knows the name Anakin either so I'm open to suggestions as to um okay
0: so I I tend yeah, to always go with Pedro.
1: Pedro, yeah, yeah I think I Pedro's quite good. Vote <laughs> <Both> for Pedro. <laughs> exactly that.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, I like that. so if if you was to give a book as a gift to, um, and I'm just picking up on the ideas of the books which you mentioned then. But if you was to give a book as a gift to free people, what book would you give them?
1: Good question. Um, Do you mean the same book, three people, or three books? Um,
0: Let's do the same book to three people.
1: have to be Nietzsche, I think, beyond good and evil. Okay, so why that one? I think because I study philosophy. I mean, I spent quite a bit of time with continental philosophers, and Nietzsche is so rich, so thought-provoking, so challenging and disruptive, and so so lively in his writing style he shows that almost everything can be done differently you can think differently about things you can talk differently i mean he's a german but read his books and he just writes in such a kind of comical style he says things like um any day when you don't dance is a day wasted you know this this from from a philosopher that, who are the opposite of that? So philosophers are people who don't dance, aren't they? You know, they're they're the the big-brained people who, who you'd never see at a disco. Nietzsche says a day without dancing is a day wasted. He's just he's a brilliant person to uh, to read, I think. Okay, cool, superb.
0: So, if I was to say, kind of, you know, in your whole career where you've been, where you've been to, where you are now, what's what's been your favourite? And this is sounds gonna sound a bit strange. Your favourite negative, positive moment. So something what's happened to you which in the moment looked like it was a bit of a negative, and it, you know, oh my god, this was a this was a massive failure. But actually the spiral out, actually looking back in, you realise it was a real positive moment for you?
1: Wow. That's a really good question. Um, um I'm not, not sure. I think there's some standard answers. I'm trying to think of Of anything deeper. But I think um, there were times where I don't know. Well, here's one that I haven't talked about much before. I think um, I began to get really, I had a lot of experiences of standing up on stage and talking about stuff in the way that people do at conferences. You know, and you get some PowerPoint slides and get some bullet points. And the next thing you know, you've got a 40-minute speech and questions at the end and I just began to realise that was completely counter what um, I was trying to do or what I was saying people should try and do and it still is today. I'm sure you've noticed that as well. You go, go along to conferences where people are talking about how learning needs to change and they're talking about it by standing up on stage with a PowerPoint deck with lots of bullet points and you think it just doesn't make any sense, so hypocritical. So I did a rap which I think is still knocking about somewhere online. There was a guy on TED called Reeves who does such a beautiful job of kind of beat poetry, actually, it is, I think, really. And I thought that, you know, that affected me and that would be more like the kind of thing I want to do. So I was invited to speak at um, BET, which is an educational technology show you probably know about. And I did, um, yeah, I did did a rap. And then I looked at it and I thought, well, I wasn't anywhere as good as I wanted to be um so in one sense it was negative but i also learned that you know you could you could do something different um and i've continued to think about what we might do that's different
0: okay okay so i guess this is kind of where things you know start to challenge the norm um it, it, just even from a, a, a probably a, a powerpoint kind of so with these podcasts i try to remain as impartial as possible um but one of the things which i can remain impartial about is something like a presentation a slide deck so I've kind of probably for the last two years I've kind of set myself up to be able to do present from one slide. So yeah. I won't ever use more than one slide. I just call it the one slide challenge for me, um, because realistically that's all you really need, and you know the chances are is because that slide is just saying your name and your title anyway. Yeah, which is another argument, I guess, what the titles even mean anymore. Um, but yeah, so okay. So what's, if you know, looking at kind of, you're always developing, you're always developing, and you're always picking up something new, picking up a new skill, a new technique, or whatever. What what would you say the top three resources you are using right now? Um, and let's let's put a bit of a, a bit of a rule on this, so it can't be excluding yeah, We'll exclude social media, so you can't use social media as a resource.
1: Right. So what? So you've asked um, a deeply technical question from my standpoint, because a resource by definition, at least my definition, is not something that drives your learning forwards. A resource is something that responds to a desire to learn. So I know it sounds like an academic distinction, but in a sense, um, I can tell you the answer to what resource is. But really, the interesting question, I believe, is, you know, what experiences in the sense are, are driving your learning forwards um, in terms of resources. Um, did you say I'm not allowed to say kind of social media and stuff? Yeah, let's like
0: that? rule social media out because it's 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 too easy to say social media.
1: So it is, isn't it? Is. it? Um good good question so i think what's really driving my learning at the moment is our experiences um so maybe i'm not answering your question but i I don't believe that resources fundamentally drive learning but i think their experiences are being thrown into challenges where you've got different environments different problems to solve that drives my learning another thing that drives my learning is reading old books um there's a guy called Nassim Taleb who basically says your best predictor of whether or not something's going to be around for a while is if it's been around for a while Um, and what I find with a lot of new books and I read a lot of new books as well is that they're quite often superficial and they're kind of passing, they're trendy they're just something that's that's fashionable right now whereas if you actually read some of the older books, philosophers and thinkers you discover things which the, the best ideas are there to put it another way, the really interesting thoughts are there. So I really struggle when people ask me about things like what blogs or resources that you, you use because I, I, anything in learning I just find the only reason actually I, I read learning blogs is because they wind me up so much that I, I have to respond and write something. So if I really want to write, you know, the best way for me to write a blog is to actually read some of the the existing blogs on learning. And it just makes me so furious that I feel obliged to kind of respond and set the record straight and then I, I write a blog. Okay. Um, but that's a kind of negative <laughs> use of of those resources i guess um but it's uh, i mean this is as honest an answer as i can give i think
0: i don't i I don't think it's a negative because the thing what you put out will be will help shape the people who are following you and stuff like that so let's just say it as a way of giving back um i think a lot of things are built out of frustration you know i think i was reading recently Mm -hmm. about um spandex the the lady who created spandex and she was saying the reason why she created it was it what happened is before this they come out, people would cut the bottom off, so that you you get this you know this streamlined approach, and um, it was it was only because of frustration because of the, the the thing rolling up constantly. She said, "Why is this not already here?" Huh. Um, yeah, it was it was just tracking her whole story of how high span It just come from frustration. Yeah. So I think <laughs> Anna, I think you picked up on something really well. I think in our industry people do not know the difference between a trend and a fad. You know, for me, if someone says, well, what's the difference between a trend and a fad? I'd say, well, denim is a trend. You know, originally workers used it for overalls. And over the, t- over the length of time, it, it's remained here. The fad is whether you have rips in your jeans or whether you turn up your jeans or, you know, I think being able mm. to kind of distinguish between a trend and a fad is really important, especially when, you know, where we are right now in, in what we do, kind of chatbots and this and that. And it's, yeah, it's great to kind of constantly challenge and see what we can use. But I think we have to be really careful not to fall into that magpie syndrome of shiny, shiny.
1: Yeah, there's. I think there's an even worse thing about trends is often they reflect ways in which the current convention defends itself so they're, they're effen- essentially kind of defense mechanisms so and there's, there's a trend for example away from LMSs and a dawning realization that they're not only horrible kind of things that don't help learning but in a lot of cases they actually actively prohibit learning or stop learning you know effectively taking place and the, the but the LMS industry obviously wants to continue. So the 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 fad that's kind of spawned is things like microlearning, where basically it's, it just um, allows the the same old approach to continue to survive a little bit longer. So that it's even worse in, in the New Orleans example because quite often the fads are an attempt to stop the trend. They're an attempt to turn back, you know, the um, the clock really, and continue to do things in the same way. Mm. And, and I think that's why they can be troubling.
0: I think it's re- it's really interesting, and it's gonna be a question which I'm gonna ask you somewhere down the line today anyway, but it's, for me, you know, the LMS industry is a bit like, it's a bit like the CIPD, and it's a bit like the Weight Watchers, and it's a bit like this. They create this own little ecosystem, which is self-fulfilling because, you know, you look at, say, C- CIPD I bounce back and forth from whether I like them or whether I don't like them. Um, But what I don't like is the kind of subscription model where you've got to subscribe every year, you've got to keep your stamp up to date and stuff like that. And it's a bit like how a Weight Watchers program works. You know, you go, you join Weight Watchers, your teacher, you know, here's something you eat in here, have these points or whatever it is. And then if a behavior change hasn't happened, you leave Weight Watchers. And then in six weeks time, you find yourself back at Weight Watchers because you put your weight back on. And and I think with the LMS, it's the same thing. People, one of the frustrations which I keep saying I'm going to write a blog about and I haven't done it just yet is... The industry. So right now, me job searching, and I kind of like to think of myself as being ahead or at the forefront of trying new things and doing things differently. But when you look mm-hmm. at the industry right now, and you're looking at you know, okay, let's have a look what what what's available. They're still screaming out for e learners, and I'm like, wow, it's it, you may for for the whole fact of you being ahead of it right now, you may as well just be behind, and that's that's kind of frustration oh. which I which I felt
1: i think the the lms industry I'm, I'm somewhat hesitant to be critical because i've been critical a lot um, of lms's and now it's become a bit like a pinata and i just feel like everybody's putting the boot in and that instinctively just makes me reluctant to pile in and i think there's a couple of things to say about the lms but certainly some organizations have kind of regulatory pressures and they've just got to get people to take a box and you know frankly hell with it you get an lms and then you've got your completion records i think that's a deeply cynical agenda i mean i can't imagine really any regulator being happy that an industry has changed just because a bunch of people have done an e-learning course and so you know that's one thing i think the other thing is it's actually a pretty good event management system most lmss are really good at kind of scheduling events and i do think events can be really good so um if we just called it an event or compliance management system That would be great. And then people could say, all right, and what are we going to do about our learning culture? And they could talk about a whole load of other systems like apps or knowledge sharing or whatever. But the problem is that they've oversold LMSs as a learning management system. And then whenever somebody's Starts talk about learning. They so, say, "Well, we've got a learning management system, so it all has to be done there." And that actively prevents people making progress in terms of the learning agenda. And um, don't even get me started on the user experience. I, I think that the problem, though, with attacking the LMS is that many of the people who attack it can't tell you really coherently what would be better. And and that is a problem because ultimately, I don't, I'm not, I can't be critical of people who work in LMS businesses or LMS itself. Um because generally there is a kind of intellectual bankruptcy around how learning should work. So what lies at the heart of the LMS is this kind of idea of knowledge transfer, um, which is the idea that the the learning industry is about kind of stuffing information into people's heads. And many of the people who are critical of the LMS still hold that model. So they're just as bad. So I think that, yeah, it's a bit more complicated, I think, is is after many years of kind of being critical about LMSs, um, it's no good being critical about the LMS if you don't know what a better solution would look like. Um, and th- and that's sort of where where I am today.
0: It's, well, actually, it's really interesting. I had a call with someone, I won't say the name, but um, it was yesterday. I was talking about a very uh, well known message, if you want to call it an hour message, it was, was Workday Learning. I'm not sure if you've heard of mm. this. So mm. I have a real love hate with Workday Learning. I love Workday from a HR system from an onboarding and kind of streamlining that. I love it. Workday learning right now is nowhere near where it needs to be. From a UX point of view, it's absolutely pointless. However, going off what you just mentioned there, it is a great event management system. Um, you know, yeah. you need to book on something, perfect. I just think in yeah. this day and age where we've got various, I don't know, you've got your learning record stores, you've got your XAPIs, you've got this, you've got that. I just think really, is it, for me, I just...
1: it. Yeah, but I, let me take XAPI. It's a really good example of how people suggest an alternative, which I don't believe fundamentally is any better. So people say, well, you know, forget about, you know, the LMS. It's all about XAPI. And I thought about this for a while. I thought, well, everyone's talking about XAPI. I'd see it, it shows. Maybe I should go and have a look at it. And then I found that in practice it means, you know, you watch a five-minute video and the little quiz pops up at the end. tests you on how much you've learned or you know or, or some record of completion is stored every time you access some sort of asset and i thought that's awful because that just shows that people's thinking hasn't moved on at all and the example i give is a real life in real life, I learn all the time. So um, I kind of drive to school, I listen to stuff on the radio. My you know, daughter persuades me to listen to a kind of pop song. Um, I read a bit of a book on the train. I have a look at Twitter. How on earth is XAPI going to actually track, you know, whether or not um, I could sing that pop song, you know, that I heard on the radio. It's just bizarre. And I mean, the idea is all again, centred around this formal notion of learning, which is XAPI is an improvement because yeah, the, the knowledge is now in smaller bits. But, you know, basically we're still doing the same thing, which is we're, we're tracking whether or not people know something they didn't before. And that's not how learning works. And so XAPI is an example of exactly that, which is if your mindset doesn't change, you'll continue to do horrible things with technology. Um, and I know lots of people will disagree with me, but, you know, that's become the battle really. You, the more I look at the industry, the more I realise you cannot fix it unless you drill all the way down to the root of the problem, which is how people think about learning.
0: Yeah. Okay. Super. So, and I guess this is kind of one of the great things about the industry what we're in, you know, and we're because we're all adults within this industry. Well, most of us are adults in, within this industry. It's um, it gives us the adaption to be able to go. Actually, you know what? I was wrong there. I'm growing up to say I'm learning something new, and my opinion's changed. And it, it's interesting to see how many people don't apply that. I think for me, when mm-hmm. I look out and I just go, okay, well here's your opinion, what you had at the start, and here's all the new evidence to show that, don't want to get me started on learning styles, but here's here's new evidence to kind of say, you know, your opinion is wrong there, but yet we still stick with that one. You know, we don't apply any new evidence to kind of change your mind and help change your opinion and look at it a different way. I think it's, yeah. um, it's, it's interesting. So if I was to say to you, Nick, explain to me what, what you do. Explain to a three-year-old what it is you do. What would you say?
1: I've sort of had to do this a few times and I've not been entirely happy with my performance. And I think, um, I know what I say to organisations, which is, you know, we help organisations to um, modernise their approach to learning or to innovate in the way that they create learning. Um, But I think when I've tried to explain that to like my daughter, who's nine, she just looks blankly at me, because <laughs> it implies lots of things about organisations and learning and innovation and modernisation. So I'm not sure I've quite got there yet. But that that is sort of my best answer so far, which is to go to different organisations um, who have some kind of ambition to be more innovative in the way they do learning or, or mo- modern, mm-hmm. and we can show them how to do that. Um, and we can do it, we can do it for them, or we can show them how to do it. or We can talk about it, um, whichever they prefer.
0: Okay, so you say, you know, people who are doing things differently, um, you know, who are kind of challenging the norm and maybe uh, zigging when the world's zagging, whatever you want to call it. Who, who, mm. for you, are these people who are doing things differently?
1: Well, I thought you were doing things differently. I mean, I, mean I, I, I still do. I mean, I think you're ahead of the curve in terms of what you do. I thought the WhatsApp stuff... Was really interesting, um, and I remember a tweet where I put something about you know we're recommending Slack as a as a platform, and you pointed out, yeah, people don't people don't have Slack on their phones. And I thought you're right, you know, it's it's kind of that that sort of thinking creeps in quite easily. It's like you put put this new thing on your put this new learning thing on your phone, and like what, what? <laughs> I've got all the learning tools I need right here. Thank you very much. And so WhatsApp we've used very successfully with some um, actually with both the Red Cross and the United Nations, actually, to set up groups of people who can learn from each other because everybody's got it on their phone. Um, And so I thought that was good. Um, Kenny, who I'm working with at the moment, um, is doing some really, really different things with experience design, you know, things that were mind-blowingly different. You know, um, the latest thing we're working on is an alien in a box. And you've somehow got to get the alien out of the box and communicate with it. And, and that, I think, and Kenny's really helped me to, he's been quite inspirational in terms of kind of pushing that, that thinking along. Um, and, yeah, so um, I, I'm in at the BBC, a lot A lot of the inspiration came from people who are doing things differently in a technology sense, not in a narrow kind of learning sense actually within learning, I think there's a lot of consensus and convention because that really is all that holds learning together is a consensus convention but sitting next to people who are doing really interesting creative things around the way they're using media or, or storytelling um, that that I found you know inspirational um, okay. so,
0: yeah i was um I was speaking to Kenny a couple of weeks ago and um we was talking back and forth and the stuff what he, he's doing kind of reminded me of something what me and um, my well my mental by our very start when I joined my, when I started my career in L&D we created we worked for a large telecoms company and it was based around these top 10 processes which were the top 10 car drivers which was the top 10 people were struggling on and it was a case of right well how do we make this so what we ended up doing was we ended up turning to um, training rooms into complete breakout areas. So when I say breakout, you know the room, the way you got to break out the the room within a certain time.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. So we turned the we turned the whole two training rooms into kind of breakout rooms. And the only way you could break out this room was to crack the code to work out these puzzles oh, yeah, and yeah, riddles yeah. and stuff like this. And they had to kind of and each one had a domino effect onto the other. And it was mm. um, and you had to rely on your other team to help you to do this because it it was based around a kind of a whole like see one do one teach one kind of thing so you have to work with with your team as well so yeah it was um and just just recall if you want to just use a basic recall being able to recall the process and how not necessarily every single step within that process because most of it was fluff it was just how to get the job done um but yeah, it was, Ken, the stuff what Kenny's working yeah. sounds really interesting,
1: for sure. It's funny, when you when we do work like that, I think there's this kind of anxiety on the part of organisations. They'll be like, well, why would we pay for that? Because they're not really learning anything. And you, you almost have to stop them and say, well, two things. Firstly, when you send them on these courses where they sit through and they look at all the PowerPoint slides, they are not learning anything. They come away and they might remember two or three things and those things are gone You know, within a matter of weeks. So... So, so that's just the illusion that they're learning something. And then secondly, do you know why they're really going on the the training courses that you currently provide? Look at the feedback forms. They go for the networking. What, what they really go for is the experience. They go because it's an experience. And yet you're pushing people in a room and showing them PowerPoint slides and you're calling that learning. If, if they're going there for the experience, why not have a think about that? Why not create a good experience that actually shifts the way their level of engagement or their capability to do something or, or whatever it is, why not just think about the design of that as an experience? And, and it is really twisted, I think. As I say, because people have this transactional idea of L&D at the core, which is that somehow here's a list of things people need to know. Just give it to you. You're going to put it in a course. It was, you, know, you know, job done, ROI, all that. Then that will be corrupting whatever the technology is. Um, so, so that's why I say you have to keep digging away until you can kind of push that out
0: yeah exactly I think the thing which we, we kind of pointed out straight away was well, fundamentally these people were coming to the training because one they wanted offline time They wanted yeah. offline time from the work whatever it is they're doing you know a lot yeah. of the time they wanted offline time and then two I think for me the other question is well why have you got me in here because the stuff what you're mm-hmm. doing right now isn't working this is the main reason why you've got someone like me in to kind of tell you how to do yeah. it differently so you know, I can give you yeah. these ideas. I can give you create these experiences. Unfortunately, you can't make people learn. You can't make them do that. But what you can give them is you can give yeah. them an experience where that happens um, organically yeah. within what it, where everything needs to happen. Yeah.
1: Um.
0: Okay. Sorry. Off a tangent. main partial. May partial. Um. So I guess what I think we've we've kind of already touched upon this in a way, but I guess what let's go over it again. What what is the love hate? What you do within your industry now? What is the thing that you you love to hate? Um, and maybe you know, maybe hate's a strong word. But what's let's let's do it a different way. Let, what are your your three main fr- frustrations right now?
1: I th- mm, interesting. I think there is just uh, one really, and and the, the other variations of it, which is convention. And I think that's the biggest challenge in my job is convention conventional processes, conventional ways of thinking. And that I think is because by and large, there are different kinds of people in the world. And I probably took me a long time to realise that, because everybody assumes that other people are just like them. And I was somebody who well, you know, I took philosophy and psychology. I wanted to think about things. I wanted to understand things. And I assumed that everybody else did. And they don't and they're not really interested when you try and explain things either. They just operate on conventions which sounds slightly sort of patronizing and dismissive but is they have different priorities you know getting on with people it is <laughs> it's not it's not my one number one priority um, and that's a strength and a weakness um, but for many people the convention is just you know how you don't rock the boat and so conventions exist in so many different ways in people's minds in organizational process in uh, communities um, and it's a tremendous barrier to progress, um, but those conventions also kind of hold people together. Uh, so for me, I think that's the big, the big challenge is overturning, challenging conventions. Okay.
0: Okay. So there's a football stadium, and all the people, the football stadium is absolutely full, and you've you've managed to buy two big billboards. Let's have it, Let's call it one big billboard actually. And everyone who's coming out of this stadium is going to see this billboard. What message would you put on
1: that billboard? <laughs> these are some of the best questions I've ever had I, I at some point I might ask for a list of these questions um I'm not being evasive it's just that's great I mean um I think so um what's a go-to move well um, I quite like that the I quite like the Nietzsche kind of um I don't no, nothing too deep that um, you know um a, a day when you don't dance is is a day wasted and I've sort of begun to realize I think what he really meant by that which is I mean it may actually be literal physical dancing although probably my daughter wouldn't want to be there um when I'm doing it but um more it's about you have to dance in a sense in the way that you treat life you have to dance through life. You, you you just won't make progress if you don't dance. And by that, I mean treat things with that kind of spirit and, and that um, kind of levity. And, and so I put it on a billboard because it, it's not – it's not one of those things that people wouldn't understand because it's a deeply philosophical quote. You know, thoughts are the shadows of emotions, which is the you know the thing I like. But um, it would be something that appeals to everybody. It's just yeah, just go out and dance, and 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 appeals at different levels. You know, dance intellectually, dance physically, but you know, whatever you do, you know, keep keep that feeling about about you. Okay,
0: that's a good
1: one. Is a good one. Well, I, I really want to know what would you put since you asked me that question. What would you put up on the, the board? Um... Whew.
0: Probably for every minute you are angry, you lose sixty seconds of happiness.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 What, what make? Are, are you angry a lot?
0: No. So this the reason why that quote was was because when when I first started out on mail um I used to put quotes on the door. When people would walk in, and it was just a little, little social experiment for me to see how many people would notice the quote change daily, um, and it was always, it was always just the one which kind of struck home to me. Um, well, there's there's, a, there's like two ones, um, but that was the one which kind of always kind of helped me. And then it was always I always timed it right for when they had to do some sort of learning or, you know, we had to we, we had to put in, because of our business needs, like a hot phone challenge, when we was working mm-hmm. with um, a customer service team center. And so we had to create that experience of a hot phone challenge, and I was speaking to advisor it a real life simulation. Um, and sometimes people come back frustrated and angry because they let something slip or something happened. And it was always me using it as a reference point to kind of say, look, you're right. angry, just relax, just relax, you've been put in a situation which is stressful, but think about what you mm. just learnt coming back from it, so it's just always a good anchor
1: point, more than anything. Um, but yeah. it's funny that I, I spend quite a bit of time in taxis, and you'd think that a taxi driver basically you have to be a really chilled person because you spend your whole day sitting in various traffic. I mean, I was in Istanbul, I think last week before last, and the traffic there is just insane, and people drive like the dodgems at the fairground. and you'd think that people would just be really chilled, but they're not, they're all wound up <laughs> and angry. And I, th- I thought, I imagine spending your whole life practically being this frustrated and wound up and angry at everything. And um, you're right, I mean, I do get angry about things, but I sort of have to stop myself and remind myself that um, you know, it just, it hurts me then, more, more than it hurts anyone else. And
0: this is it, and I, I guess, you know, for me personally, what, what for, for that minute you're angry, and then then emotions take over. You, you damage what you could do, the words what you said or whatever. Some, sometimes they can never be kind of unsaid. So I just think, just don't, don't be in that situation. Just try, you know, acknowledge the fact that you're angry, you're frustrated. Acknowledge it, but don't let it kind of shape you and shape what comes next. Yeah.
1: So,
0: yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Let's, let's change gears a little bit. So if Mickey is a mouse and Donald is a duck, what's Pluto?
1: If no, Mick, let's do it. is a mouse.
0: Daws is a duck. What? <laughs> Goofy. Let's
1: do Goofy. Goofy. Well, isn't Goofy? This is a. This is one of these trick questions, isn't it? Because I thought Goofy was a dog, and I also think Pluto is a dog. In which case, Goofy has a dog as a dog, which is just weird. Um. So, I, I think it's dogs all the way.
0: Okay. Cool. That's good to know. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, I think. Pluto's a dog. Goopy wears a hat and drives a car. So I'm not really... And isn't Pluto, Mickey's dog. It's been a while since I've watched cartoons. I'll let the audience decide which one that one is.
1: Yeah, I think, but that's it, isn't it? It's the paradox. I like it really a lot because you're saying, can a dog be a dog's dog? And that, you know, that's quite a philosophical question, really. And, you know, maybe, you know, Pluto is a dog because he defines... Himself as a dog, and you know, I know you wanted to change gears, and I'm ruining that for you. But you know, that, that turns out to be a tough question for me.
0: Maybe it just highlights um, a hierarchy. Maybe that's what it is. It
1: just yeah, hierarchy in yeah. modern life. Yeah, terrifying. I we we some video interviews with leaders, and one of the things that I do at the beginning of these interviews is try and tell a really bad dad joke. Because it puts people in a different frame of mind, they loosen up and all this kind of stuff. But we were interviewing um, this. It was a lady. She's a French lady. And so we kicked off the interview, and she was looking quite nervous. And I said, "What's orange and sounds like a parrot?" Huh. She looked really anxious. <laughs> I said, "I, I am sorry. Can you repeat the question? What's orange sounds like a parrot?" <laughs> she said, and she looked really crestfallen. And said, I, "I, I don't know." And I said, "A carrot." <laughs> she just. And the look on her face she just nodded like oh, i screwed that up at the first question <laughs> i thought oh, that's just terrible it's not everybody it's terrible when people's sense of humor kind of you know um leaves them as as they get them more and more into these organizations i think i see that a lot
0: yes so so much and then i think it's only once you get them out of the the business environment that you get them in a social environment that you let that mask slip off, and you get to actually see the true person, which is such a shame. Because realistically, the true person who doesn't has his, has this mask on is actually probably more, way more authentic, and people kind of can rally behind that person.
1: Yeah, but I've have had that experience, and the true person is kind of like a a, a, a shriveled raisin of a, of a person because they spent so much time, you know, living the mask. That their authentic self has just kind of withered away and died, you know, um, out of the light. We work with, um, um, it's actually a company called RADA for Business. Um, and they do a lot of work with organisations um, going and, and helping their leaders to be able to express themselves. And I was talking to uh, one of the guys there, one of the trainers who does this kind of work. And he was saying it's a bit demoralising sometimes. Because sometimes you realise with a leader that they've spent so long being this kind of grey kind of fabrication of a person. Um that in that in that RADA session that they do, they're just their repertoire is now so limited, so stunted, that you know, there's only there's almost nothing you can do with them. And I thought, wow, you know, that's kind of sad reflection on what our job sometimes just does. Just a
0: bit. Just a bit. Okay. So if I was to say to you right, Nick, you can really live two hours of your day. You let's let's do two hours of your working day just to make it a little bit tougher. And that can be anything from end to end design conversations, whatever you want to call it. what two hours would you would you love to do?
1: Um, there are two kinds of things I like I really like writing um so rather boring introvert response. I quite like it um when I'm sort of in the flow I'm writing something and I also like when I'm with colleagues out of the office and we're having a conversation which is about work but isn't about work if you know what I mean so we're talking about something that we both kind of care about and typically that's learning because only really hire people who care about learning and so talking about something you're passionate about um, maybe over coffee and prep or something and those you know that that you know that I really enjoy as well
0: yeah I think there's quite there's quite a lot to change in the environment in general I think I was having a conversation yesterday with someone who was a teacher actually I was like look here's here's for me the fundamental issue with school I said you have two teachers who are both equally qualified one of them follows the syllabus to the to the letter they get the teachers in kind of you get the kids in sit them in the usual teacher layout and you have a teacher at the front and let's just to use subject of geography but then you have the other teacher who will take them out and they'll take them to the woods and we'll show them what concrete trees are and they'll show them these leaves and whatever and whatever whatever and if both them classes fail the person who took them out into the woods would be the one for the sack not the one who wasn't I just think that's really scary. That's, a bit yeah. off on a tangent. And just again, just because of change of environment. But yeah, I think, you know, you see that quite a lot, just changing environment, going for a coffee and stuff like that. You can kind of melt away a lot of the, um, what's the word? A lot of the kind of anticipation of what you would get normally within a business conversation. You know, you're having a conversation within the office and then having a conversation in a coffee
1: shop. Should- yeah. It's funny that I don't know quite why that is, um, but it's it's worth perhaps exploring a bit more because imagine that you were going to go in the Lake District with a group of people that you quite liked and you're going to spend eight hours kind of work, walking through the hills, having different conversations, you know, with them. How is that fundamentally different from a day where you go to an office and you sit in meeting after meeting with people? I mean, there are lots of differences, but, you know, c- could you not do one in the style of the other? um, you, um I know that some people do. I mean, Steve Jobs kind of famously would, I know Joan Lira, who I've always kind of admired as a Ron Johnson talks about, you know, just spending a day kind of walking with him, having a conversation. But I think there's something about the way that we formalize things, you know, go to this room, sit in this meeting, here's an agenda that somehow kills people's engagement and enthusiasm for having what is basically the same kind of conversation. Um, so yeah I, I think a change of place and Google do that quite well I've been as us have their offices and they create lots of different spaces that you can kind of move around and have different kinds of conversation um, so it is important I'm not quite sure why I think
0: maybe maybe it's because of when we get told to go and have a meeting in within a an, an office room or whatever we bring our past experience in you know I think maybe it literally mm. is just a simple change it's just a, you know the second step because I think when I go into a meeting, and I know, right, exactly, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to be. And usually that's because of reflections and experiences what I've had beforehand. And I'm like, this is going to be another hour of my time, which I'm never going to get back.
1: But... <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, it's really funny this, because I saw this thing from Elon Musk. Uh, I hate the celebrity quotes, generally, but you can't miss it sometimes. And he said, if you're in a meeting, it's not good use of your time. Just get out and walk out. Get out and walk out and I thought a lot about this because I thought well yeah I mean you're Elon Musk you can do that and everyone feels horrified that they haven't made good use of your time but I can't see myself doing it I mean I'm I'm a fairly rebellious sort of person but I just cannot imagine myself getting 20 minutes into a meeting and thinking you know what I'm bored of this I'm just going to walk out I mean the the reputational fallout would be would be extraordinary and that, that sort of stuck in my mind is why can't we do that um, because if you were going for a, to a party let's say and you're getting a bit bored of talking to somebody or you'd come to the end of a conversation that was quite interesting you'd just be like yeah okay well thanks very much that's great and you'd move on but somehow the meeting format um, absolutely prohibits that kind of normal behavior um, and yeah I mean that it struck me that you just can't do that you can't just say look I've, it's eighteen minutes in, I think I've I can not contribute any more to this meeting. Off I'm off. <laughs> maybe you do maybe you did, Danny. You kinda of coached me on how to do it, but I, I I can't I
0: just think when so when I was at university I did um, forensic science, I did well CSI. And uh, uh-huh. that was one of the, the true things where I, I learned what the power and experience. So they, they bought three houses and they turned them into true crime scenes. Because the people who, yeah. wrote, you know, the lecturers are bobbing surf timers like <laughs> criminal scene investigations and stuff. And it was true to life. But we taught me something which was really interesting. When A makes contacts with B, a bit of A rubs off on B and a bit of B rubs off on A. And we used it in the car, you know, when two cars bump into each other for paintwork. Yeah. Yeah. I just think you should be able to do that in a meeting. Okay, I've come to a meeting. I, this is my information which I'm going to give you. This is my input. Thanks for giving me that. There's no, you know, just get to the, the point. And exchange information what you need to be able to kind of move forward. There's no need for you to be in there for another forty five minutes to to hear mm-hmm. something else. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... let's let's get to know Nick a little bit more. What's what's one unusual habit you have that nobody knows about?
1: Wow. Unusual habits. Sure, I've got quite a few. I'm just trying to think now. Um, there are habits, bad habits. I've got that I sort like. I bite my nails a bit, but everybody knows about that because people see me doing it. Unusual um, habits. Oh, I collect skulls. Not everybody knows about that. I've got a little collection of um, skulls. I built a Victorian study, sort of Sherlock Holmes style, at home with lots of skulls and curiosities and things like that. I don't know why I'm kind of drawn to that era of time. It's a bit. Um, oh, wow. I don't know some fascination with that so yeah I've, I've got a collection of they're not you're not allowed to have real real human skulls but I have lots of replicas and other kinds of um, skulls um, uh-huh. so okay. there's, there's one.
0: interesting interesting so if I was to say to you Nick right the 80 year old Nick in the future is going to give you some, some um, information and it's going to give you some advice What's one bit of advice 80-year-old Nick would give to you what you're still struggling to take right now?
1: Mm, Interesting. I'm rather afraid I know what 80-year-old Nick would say, um, and it would be to take more risks. Um, And I think it's being slightly afraid, although I might sound, you know, quite um, maverick in some respects, and I am, I guess. um, There are other kinds of risks, financial, big financial risks that... um, yeah, I, I don't take. Mostly um, just kind of going off and setting up my own business, for example,
0: yeah.
1: um, which I might eventually be forced to do. But um, it, I don't know. I've, I've no, I've no interest in kind of the commercial side of life. So um, there's some sorts of risks. I just steer stay clear. Of. Okay, I think that might be it.
0: Okay, superb. So if what's one thing when you get overwhelmed or kind of overwhelmed and kind of you lack focus in what you're doing or anything like that what's the one thing you do where kind of regains your focus and kind of composure is anything any like tips or tricks what you do
1: exercise i mean it's a, a dull one but i do struggle to retain my composure sometimes because i'm bounced all around the world and you know weird times of the day in some strange country talking to people from a different very different background and i find the only thing that reliably enables me to kind of reset is um, just finding the nearest kind of gym. And so exercise does that. I can use it to kind of reset myself mentally and physically, I think. Okay.
0: Any type of exercise in particular? So, like, are we talking CrossFit? Are we talking, you know, dead bench? Or are we talking something more like gymnastic and body movement? What's what's your go to?
1: So it's either um, uh, kind of uh, free weights or um, running. Okay. So either...
0: Yeah. Okay. Superb. So I know we we hit over the hour mark here. So I've got a couple of questions, and then I think we're done. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um
0: Good. What's the one thing? What's the one idea you have seen, and you thought, "Sweet Jesus, I wish I came up with that one." And let's let's define it. Let's let's refine it. Sorry, so that it's it's not something like Google. Um, let's say within your within our industry.
1: Hmm. Well. I was thinking of something, um, but it's only tangentially related to the industry. Um, within the industry, um, I think, oh, that's a good one. Okay, so I've got a couple. Um, so Duolingo is basically a realization of um, some of the things that I'm currently writing about in this book that I'm trying to put together, um, which is a blurring of work and learning. So I don't know, if you probably know a fair bit about Duolingo, but basically there's a point at which you're learning and you, as you may not realise it, as you start to get better, you, you're actually doing real work. You're doing real translation work. And, and that is ultimately, I think, the model that I'm writing about and talking about now, which is how do you actually blend learning and work in a way which is kind of seamless. So Duolingo does that. Um, but the other thing is, I mean, I remember when I was at Seamless Communications, we used to go to schools and talk about the future um no actually i don't think that was my brief i think we we ran an award scheme and i used to to get up on stage and talk about things and i chose to talk about the future and i remember and this would have been you know 25 years ago talking about a world in which we didn't need signs on the sides of the road because everybody had a headset um, which kind of superimposed what you needed to know augmented reality basically Mm -hmm. and so I'm certainly not the first person to, to dream up augmented reality and, and talk about it, but you know, that was the thing that that I could see being world-changing probably 25 years ago, and I still think, we'll oh, we'll kind of change the world in in probably about the next 10 years' time. Okay,
0: interesting. I was reading, I think it was, might have been a podcast actually, probably about four months ago around Duolingo, um, and I might be getting confused because it was a while ago, but I didn't know the person who created Duolingo created the Captures on Google. Did you know this?
1: Oh, no. didn't know that. So
0: I'm sure, I mean, I might be getting a bit mixed up here. So basically, Captures was, first who created the Captures kind of, yeah. it was obviously to prove that you weren't a robot and stuff like that. And then when Google kind of bought Captures and Recaptures, what we did is Google's, one of Google's missions was to make all books um, online. So all the, the yeah. translate. So what happens is, they use the AI to kind of transcript all these books but there's certain words which um, can't be transcripted by Google's AI so what yeah. we do is they use them now in capture and recapture for the human eye so that's why you say when yeah. does, what does this text say Or which on this image which one has cars in and it's based on yeah. Google not being able to kind of transcript where yeah
1: that's that's I, I was aware of that here's another example imagine you create a game for kids to learn to be drone pilots and at some point they don't realise it. They're actually doing real package delivery for Amazon. Wow! So you could scale it in lots of interesting and different ways. Um, so that's you know um, that I think that's the way forward.
0: Interesting, interesting. That's that's something that what mm. I'd love to just talk about on its own for another hour. Um. So yeah. What kind of? So I had I put a tweet out onto well onto Twitter and onto LinkedIn. I was like, any questions you want me to ask? And someone come back to me with quite a good question, and. We probably we've probably touched upon it already but let's just jump on it anyway what's the, what's yeah what's the strangest hurdle in learning and development that you have had to tackle and how did you do it
1: the strangest hurdle hmm well I think I've had to tackle lots of strange hurdles but the strange in different senses Um... But I, I like if if we just take the, the emotional impact of kind of the word strange and, and that lights up other things, some of which just seem strange to me because they're more recent. Um, I, I think the one, the bit of work that Kenny did really recently was a strange hurt in a way. And it was because an organisation was tremendously hierarchical. And when I say hierarchical, this organization is so hierarchical that if a senior person goes along to a meeting and there's a relatively junior person in the meeting, so more than a couple of levels down, they will just leave the meeting. They just won't um, sit in a meeting with junior people. Wow. And, and our one of our challenges, so that is a bit extreme, isn't it? And one of our challenges was, how do you get an organization like that to be more playful and less hierarchical break down some of those barriers and kind of change the culture and the second thing then that was strange about it is the way that we tackled it um and it was kenny's idea they came up with this idea um for a ball pit and we'd seen something similar online so you know like many ideas you know it's, it's the application of one thing to another context and w- so what we, we, we <laughs> and it felt really risky at times we said right what we're going to do is going to put this massive ball pit you know um in reception one day in their head office and people are and we're going to write on on the balls different questions like you know what's on your bucket list a bit bit like your questions Danny you know what would you put on a billboard or you know um, what was your childhood dream and we're going to write these on the balls in the ball pit and as people come into the building we're going to get them to sit in the ball pit like kids and pick up these and have these conversations about each other and I was really worried, actually. I realised that maybe I am a bit conventional. I was really worried that it just was going to be an absolute disaster. But partly, I think, through Kenny's efforts, it was an enormous success, so much so that people started talking about making it a permanent fixture. And um, there's a video of it, um, and you can really see the excitement and delight and the way that different conversations are had um, in that kind of context. So back to your point, Danny, really by shifting that context... In that way but by, by putting people in a kind of a strange situation and by directing them in new ways to interact with each other had kind of quite magical effects and um, so yeah that was quite um that was quite an odd one okay
0: Super. so I think I think I know the answer to this question but let's just try anyway so what is something that you are learning right now um, is it a new hobby a new skill I don't know take it into whatever context you want to take it into Um, yeah what is your new something what's something you're learning right now
1: um so um, probably in a few different directions um um, I've done doing a bit of baking with uh, my daughter Um, so I cook things and they go badly wrong so I think we tried chocolate brownies three times and the first time it was like a sludge it was actually quite tasty sludge (laughs) um, but it was sludge it never congealed into something solid um, and then the second time I thought, well, I'll get it, I'll, I'll cricket it a bit longer. And it was, it was horrible. It was really dry. Um, and so the third time round, I got it about right. So, so that was that. Um, gardening. Um, basically, my approach to gardening is just keep buying plants until some of them survive. <laughs> um, and so I think I'm learning but very slowly, um, badly. Um, and then I'm reading... Um, a, a handful of different books um, at the moment um, Damasio um, neuroscientist on learning um, I've gone back and dug out something from Bartlett I've got it here um, oh no, Mary Helen Immordino Yang emotions learning in the brain and something on Bartlett's psychology and reconstruction by Brady Wagoner um, so I'm learning a little bit about those things. Was that the answer you thought I was going to give Danny or was it something? No,
0: it's actually quite interesting. So I thought, so I mean, obviously you've got to be careful because it's your idea, but I mean, I thought you was going to mention about kind of a whole process of the book, you know, something that you're working on right now and kind of working your way through the the journey of how you write your book and kind of stuff like that. But that's interesting.
1: I just sort of feel like people who talk about the book they're writing are <laughs> annoying. I mean, just publish it, for God's sake. It's kind of like until, I, I just want to shut up about it until it's done. And then probably what will happen is I'll publish it and nobody will read it or buy it. And, but then it'll be like job done. Fine. So, but I, I do know some people who, who it's become like a central theme for them about the book they're writing. Right. I'm writing a novel. You know, you meet them and they're you know, writing a novel. And I just think that's, I don't know, something about that. I'm not quite sure what it is. It's just annoying. So I'm going to try not to talk too much about it at the moment. I don't think I'm really learning um, about writing a book. I'm just plowing through it and I'm going to write it, send it off, and hopefully it'll be a success.
0: Good. Could you just make a promise right now so it's live, so that it's on record? Don't turn into one of these people who write a book and then reference it every single time I, I talk. So it was interesting, a couple of yeah. uh, months ago, I went to an event and I was like, it's really interesting, the board of people you've got up there, every single one of them are pretty much writing a book.
1: And like, just yeah, yeah. writing a book, it
0: doesn't mean... You know,
1: you know what, Danny? This is, this is the annoying thing, right? This is partly why I'm doing it. And, and it is going to turn me into one of these horrible people because I've been writing blogging, as m- many people know, for years. Um, since I was back at the BBC, before blogs were like a thing, like probably so now, I don't know, maybe 15 years or something. Loads of blogs. And I go along and talk at events and people say, oh, that's really interesting. And they would say, have you written a book? And I say, no, no, but everything I write is free. It's, and you'd see the look of disappointment in their eyes. And it eventually tweaked. This is, this is what I meant at the beginning. It's about marketing it's it progress is only about one percent discovery it's no good if you've discovered something earth shaking you have to hand it to seth godin or um you know some of the others who actually then cycles it up into a big or damn pink into some big marketing extravaganza before anybody will take you seriously and and what i hate about that in a sense is that we can't take things at face value we can't think for ourselves we have to be prescribed this advice from an authority where the authority is the publishing house. And of course the problem with the publishing house is the publishing house tends to publish things which are going to be popular, which almost by definition are going to be conventional, not necessarily innovative. So I mean there's some there's some um something which kind of troubles me about that, which is we only we only want to listen to people, you know, once you know once they've written a book. Um but finally after 15 years of of writing blogs and getting up on stage I, I kind of feel like I have to so it's it's a bit of a concession Okay. Um, so yeah are, are you gonna write something Um do?
0: no uh, I would love to I just would not know where to start see the thing what the issue what I have really Nick is I'm not very good with words Um I have ideas and I, I can say this is how it would work and this is what you know how to get from here to here mm-hmm. and I'd like to challenge again it's not disruptive. I think sometimes it is literally just being a little bit provocative, um, and saying just asking the question why, why can't you do what you're doing now, which is going to take you a year? Why can't you achieve that in six months? It's just I just think why can we not use this to do that? Um, maybe I just maybe I'll create a coloring book. Maybe that's what I'll do. Um, so yeah, I'm all about kind of visual, more than anything. Dyslexia, kind of call it creative writing now um but yeah book writing and I like i would want to be able to do it in my own tone of voice like i think the way i, I talk on say linkedin and stuff like that is my tone of voice i don't shape it up i shape it down to be anything that's not um so
1: that's interesting though isn't it because it's the ideas that matter and i understand what you're saying that there are people who have a this way this marketing spin and i think i've got better over the years where spinning an idea into you know t- turning a phrase until it catches the light the expression i think you heard um mm. but there are other people who get ideas across in really interesting ways i don't know if you come across amy burval on twitter and she does um she's got a whole blog site where she does amazingly creative stuff just mind-blowing that isn't words yeah. but much more visual um so if i would, i was, say she's worth having a look at if you're looking for different ways to express those ideas um just kind of next level creativity I
0: think I'm recently just connected to with her on LinkedIn actually so yeah yeah I think um I'll I'll definitely kind of reach out to her as well I think so your book I guess for me I think there's something what's missing out on books nowadays I think you know you you buy the Kindle version or whatever version but I just think now to buy a book I think I think someone needs to start looking at the experience of a book now as well you know the books the very typical books tend to be the hardback book with a bit of a print copy you know a bit of a printed sleeve on the front you think wouldn't it be good if you had a book which was furry wouldn't it be really good if you if you sent out a book and the experience was opening up this this furry book and kind of the the book being the experience before you even get into reading it just yeah
1: you know there's something funny about that i think you're right um I went along to this evening that the Bradford for Business organised um, for some of the people way work with, where they were showing a reduced Shakespeare production of what was it, Hamlet or something, um, and, it, and they reduced it because they got to perform it on the QE too. Um, and I was sitting next to a publisher as we watched this thing, and so I can't remember how long it was like forty minutes or something—and it, it, the philosophical question was: I wonder how much you could reduce it and it still be kind of the same play. And I said to this guy, well, there's an easy way to answer that question, right? You you send people to the play, audience people, and then when they come out, you ask them what they remember and get them to tell you the story. And there'll be kind of like, you know, an average version that will emerge. And then that's your minimum reduction, right? Because if people go and see Romeo and Juliet and they rem- only remember kind of basically 10 key things that happen, well, then that's all you have to reproduce. And, um, and this publisher said, no, 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 that wouldn't work at all. And I said, well, why not? And he said, well, when people go and see a play, they may not remember any of it, but they want to feel like they had a proper experience. It's like when, when people buy a book, and as a publisher, he was saying, they may not read it, but they want it to sit on the coffee table. And they want it. And I think publishing is a little bit like that. It's, I'm not, I'm not sure that the book is you know, is there because of that as an experience. I think there's a whole load more around people, how, what it says about people and how it makes them feel and, and you know, importance that goes with it as yeah, well.
0: Definitely.
1: So I think you're right, It is, it, but it's, it's quite a rich experience. And...
0: It's interesting. I think, you know, there's always books on your bookshelf where you're, you're proud of reading them. Um, and it's like, yes, I've read that yeah. book. And I think you, you put me on to um, fragile. And for me mm. I found that a bit of a struggle to read. I kind of had to keep yeah. going back and forth to it, back and forth to it. But once you get through, you're like, Okay, I'm I'm quite I'm quite proud I got through that one. There's a book which I'm reading yeah. at the moment called The Little Big Things. Um Well, I finished it now, but basically it's around a, a guy who went on a lad's holiday, um, and he jumped into the sea, kind of head butted the sandbank and then he remained completely paralysed from the neck down. Yeah. And it's talking about him re experiencing life again. And kind of how the whole perceptions change on what
1: I'm just typing it in. Um, little the little big things. yeah,
0: little big things. Um, I think okay, J.K. Yeah, Rowland's it. written yeah. the intro for it and stuff. Um, that's a real good book. Just, just it's just a simple. Isn't you know it's not an intense read or anything. It's it's quite a simple book, but I think it just lets you look at things slightly different again. It's um, it's a really good book. Hmm. So. Yeah. Okay, so two more questions and we are done, Nick. So I asked you at the beginning yeah. for some um, for some numbers. Um, these numbers yeah. tally up to a list of random items which I've got. So the story yeah. is this. You're on a, a desert island and the only items that you've got are these. So you've got a cement stone, um, some lip gloss, a screw and a spoon.
1: What do you do? Cement stone. Do you mean like, um, what, like powdered cement? Yeah. Um, a work, would you say work clothes? Um, uh, so you've got cement stone, you've got lip
0: gloss. Lip F, gloss. Um, a screw and a spoon.
1: Mm. What do you do with these items? Well, the cement, Um, I guess, quite easy. As it's a desert island, I can mix it with sand um, and water. And I can hopefully build some kind of shelter. Um, so I think that would be quite important. And something that I could use to cook on. That might be even more important. like Because you can build something with cement that um, it's like an oven. You could do all kinds of things with that, like um, bake ceramics and stuff in it. So I think that would be important. The lip gloss, I'm really not sure what I would do with that. I think it would just melt in the heat, wouldn't it? Okay. Um, and then the screw and the spoon. Well, if it's just one screw, I'm not sure how much <laughs> mileage I can get out of <laughs> a single screw. But um, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'd probably, let's say I'll screw it into a tree, and then I can hang things on it. You know, so like um, if I have a jacket or some clothes. Um, and then the spoon. I sort of feel a spoon would be important somehow. Um, uh, because if you didn't have one, I think you'd have to make one, wouldn't you? Mm. So like a spoon um, I would use for I don't know. Uh, let's say I got coconuts. You know how are you going to get all the you know the the coconut stuff out the coconut the flesh or whatever? You use a spoon to scrape it out. So. Yeah. Um, you
0: yeah. didn't have easy ones there, to be honest, Nick. I've kind of asked these kind of random questions, um, and it looks like you've had some quite hard ones there, to be honest.
1: I'm not sure about the liquor, so that's going to keep me, me worried
0: for a while. <laughs> so, right at the very beginning of the call, um I asked you, why is it you want? You know, when you was in school, why is it you wanted to be? And you said zookeeper, I think. Obviously, yeah. we're, we're constantly learning, we're constantly developing, and really, we never really stop that, and we never really grow too old to be able to do anything. So, if I was to ask you this question now, Nick, what do you want to be when you grow older? What would you say?
1: Uh, I still want to be Doctor Who.
0: Okay. Perfect.
1: Yeah, still still working on that.
0: There's nothing wrong with that. So, Nick, how can people find out a little bit more about you? Where can they go?
1: um I'm quite easy to find. Um, just type Nick Shackleton-Jones in on Google, and that will take you to Twitter, and LinkedIn, and my blog website, which is aconventional dot com. Although more recently i switched from the primary kind of blog site being a conventional to linkedin because it turned out if i write articles on linkedin there's a lot more kind of traction a lot lot more comments i find the comments and the conversations really helpful and developmental and so i'm tending to kind of favor linkedin at the
0: moment okay superb well nick it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much
1: thanks Dave. enjoy it cheers
0: bye bye